Welcome to the Franchise You Podcast, where key industry leaders provide education and inspiration. Here's your host, Dr. Kathy Gosser, the director of the Yum Center for Global Franchise Excellence at the University of Louisville. Welcome to another episode of Franchise You. With me today, I have a very esteemed dear friend, Mr. Alwyn Lewis. I'm going to tell you a little bit about Alwyn, but then I really want him to talk about his journey. So Alwyn grew up in Houston, Texas, and he attended the University of Houston. And what I love is he planned on being in academia. However, he took a job with Jack in the Box to help pay for college, as we all do. And he fell in love with the restaurant industry. And in particular, he fell in love with the notion of serving customers and leading others. So once he found that passion, he continued at University of Houston with an MBA. And after that, he joined the restaurant division of PepsiCo, which is now Yum Brands. In Yum Brands, he started as a regional director in Detroit, and that's where I met him. He became the most successful operator, and he continued advancing in numerous COO brand roles like Pizza Hut until he became the chief operating officer of Yum Brands and the chief multi-branding officer of all the brands as well. He left the restaurant industry to be CEO of Kmart and Sears. After that, he went on to Potbelly, where when he joined Potbelly, it was company-owned only. He introduced franchising, which we'll get into um, along the way. He has since retired from Potbelly. However, you would hardly say he retired because he is continuing to provide his insight and guidance on four corporate public boards. In the past, he served on Disney, Halliburton, Red Robin, but now he sits on Marriott, Foya, Chef's Warehouse, and Caliber Collision. Woo, oh, and that's a lot. Welcome. Um, you've had quite a career. Thank you. Uh, it's an honor to be talking to you this morning. And yeah, I've been ble- very blessed. I'm very grateful for the career. Uh, you cannot do it alone. Uh, a lot of great people along the way, like yourself. Like you mentioned, we first met and uh, we, we followed each other's uh, career, young brands. And uh, it was an awesome experience. It was 40 years and it was nice symmetry for me when I retired. And uh, I've loved every minute of working and uh, being a leader. But it's been great being retired also. (laughs) I'd hardly say you were retired. So looking at that extensive career of 40 years, can you give me a couple of highlights of your career? Well, you know, um, becoming the COO of Pizza Hut uh, in uh, from 96 to 2000 was the biggest job I had up to that time. And the brand was in uh, needed turnaround. So working with that team of operators and HR professionals, financial professor, uh, professionals, Mike Rawlings was the president, I was COO. Uh, we, we did a massive turnaround of that business and we put in a lot of the tools that sustained my career. Um, balanced scorecards, annual uh, GM meetings, uh, we called it boot camp. We recertified people on you know, running a, a restaurant and making pizza. And you know, it was just a great time of innovation, a great time of teamwork. And um, I would say, you know, six of the uh, divisional vice presidents all had great careers. Three of them became large franchisees in the Pizza Hut system. Um, One recently just sold his business. Two others became uh, CEOs of companies. And so it was just a lot of talent. And then HR talent, almost all those folks went on to uh, be, you know, chief uh, people leaders of organizations. So Pizza Hut was great. And then I would say, you know, leaving Young Brands, 
in becoming the CEO of uh, Kmart and uh, then Sears Holding. It was a different industry, but I learned that, that you could transfer a lot of the culture, uh, marketing, uh, running great stores, focusing on the customers, all that stuff was great, you know, transferred. So uh, a lot of highlights, but those two really come to mind. It was a $53 billion business once we combined Sears and, and Kmart. And that, that was a big business for, you know, 2004, 2005, 2006. Totally. That was a huge business. So when you think about being the Yum COO, and at the time you were the Yum COO, there were five brands. It was KFC, Taco Bell, Pizza Hut, Long John's A&W. So of that, and you were also the chief multi-branding officer, what was the most rewarding time of leading five brands? Well, you know, it was a partnership with the COOs of the individual companies. The thing I was really set, uh, pleasing was that I had a very small central group uh, that ran, you know, global ops. And we created op Ops College, which uh, we had franchisees come. Uh, they had to pay to come for that week. Uh, it wasn't a profit center, but it covered our cost. And in that week, we taught them how to run great restaurants, use a balanced scorecard, use tools, uh, really drove home the, the fact of, you know, great customer service. That was very rewarding. And you, you had franchisees leave and actually use the tools. Mm -hmm. And so that, and, and you know, with company folks, they kind of have to do it. Franchisees don't have to do it. And definitely when you sit there and said, you know, we're going to charge you and you got to, you know, you got to pay for each person you bring. And that was a very successful program. You know, we, we ran it several times a year and uh, it was just awesome. And, you know, people like you were involved. Uh, it was just awesome. And, and then I would say to customer mania, we, we, we rolled out customer mania. Uh, David gave us a mandate to help improve customer service around all the companies and that thing went around the world and uh you know it was value centered but the main thing was empowering employees to solve customer problems without turning to the manager and that was a that was a and it sell that in the franchisees of saying we want that cashier to be able to say yes and and so uh that was fun that, that was absolutely fun it was all about influence uh, it was all about teaching and coaching and uplifting the best spirits and people and connecting to the business in a real way. And the franchisees really loved it. I have to smile because back then I didn't realize that you had started a career in academia. And once I realized that everything I had watched you do made sense. So it was like the melding of really building people, building their capability with operations, you you brought it all together in that ops college. And when you mentioned David, you were talking about David Novak, who was the first CEO of um, Young Brands. And you know, you had a program called we affectionately called it Bagger, building a great restaurant. But you actually created that program for struggling operations, and it was a process that I think is still followed today. So that that's quite a legacy. So conversely, what was the most challenging part of trying to lead five brands? But listen, you have talented people in the brands. The brands are focused on their singular uh, mission and customers. And so it was very difficult to have alignment. It was very difficult to say, here's global ops and we want to centralize certain parts of operations. And so our approach was not, we demand you do this. Our approach was, let's educate you. 
Let's demonstrate the effectiveness and let's let you apply it to your situation, to your business. And so it, it was all about influence. It was all about, you know, uh, impacting how people think as a way to impact how they act. And again, you know, with that balanced scorecard and uh, the playbook uh, of teaching operators how to go from uh, F operation to A operations, looking at people, customers, uh, sales and profits. Once you got into a restaurant manager, that was the game. And that was that was my secret sauce. It's like, mm. let's just try in, in six restaurants. And once the managers had it, they're like, oh my goodness, this is such a fair system. You know, if whether I have a great boss or a lousy boss, this playbook allows me to self-control my future and my success. And that's what sold the franchisees too. It gave them a powerful tool that they could roll out and, and their teams could be successful. You know, it's hard to have consistent operations without something like a playbook, something without a guide. And again, it's a guide. It, it doesn't answer all questions. It doesn't, you know, but it, it's, it's right down the middle. So, okay, if you follow this, you will be successful. And so once you demonstrate that, I mean, it's just the power of persuasion. And that's the beauty to me of working with franchisees. You know you're onto something when they adopt it and run with it. And because they don't have to. And so, and, and that, 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 that whole mindset has colored my whole career. Even in a company-owned situation, you treat people like they're volunteers and, and you're trying to convince them. Because if you use power all the time to lead, that reservoir gets drawn down, down, and down. There may be times where you have to come in and say, yeah, I'm the boss, boy, but that needs to be limited. Uh, such a such a great statement. And, you know, I think about what you just talked about is really the essence of franchising is how do you ensure consistency across the outlets? And to your point, if you have to bring a contract in, which is the power in franchising, right? You've broken that relationship and, and you'll probably get compliance versus commitment, as I used to hear you talk about. Yeah. So one thing um, I really wanted to ask, I've always wanted to know is why you left the franchising world where you're so effective with franchisees because of your ability to influence and your understanding of that relationship. But why you left that and you went to retail with all company owned locations? Well, I wanted to be a CEO and um, I didn't want to compete against the family, uh, which I considered young brands, my professional family. Yeah. And so staying in the industry wasn't uh, palatable to me. And so an opportunity came to, to go to Kmart first and then the Sears, you know, I took it. The interesting thing, though, is that we, although the retail stores and malls and in shopping centers were all company owned, we, we had a 2000 unit licensee business that, that was in small towns uh, and, and the licensees were responsible for uh, their, uh, their rent. They were responsible for the employees and, and Sears controlled the inventory. But it, that was a form of franchising. And those folks, in fact, you know, the company is not in good shape today, but those licensee, that business is still that business is still growing and it is still there. And we spent a lot of time with the licensees to help them be successful in, in, you know, in terms of uh, technology, in terms of ensuring that the inventory they needed, we had it so they could, you know, they could turn around and get it to their customers. So, so you know, the, the bulk of the business was the, the but the licensees kind of uh, helped me with that franchising passion that I had. That's great. Because then you went on to Potbelly. 
and yes. you were the CEO of Potbelly, and that was all company owned. And you changed that. You decided um, to well, you decided about you decided to franchise. So, can you tell us about that decision to franchise and how that came about? How you started it? Well, we we had the the model at Potbelly was very successful. We we had tremendous margins, great returns, and so you know mid twenties uh, restaurant margins, and so that's creating a lot of value. But I firmly believed in mixed systems, uh, company and franchising side by side. And the goal was at some point, we'd probably be 50-50. Uh, we, we were we're about 85-15 uh, when I left after nine years. But, you know, every almost every major idea that I came across from a product perspective, from an operating perspective, I got from franchisees. And so I, I always valued the innovation that the, that our great franchisees brought to the table. And I wanted that to be a part of Potbelly. And because when you're a franchisee, you're, you're, you, it, it's not a job. It, it, is the, it is the lifeblood of you and your family. Your, uh, I, I, franchisees, your beans are on the table. They're at stake. Mm-hmm. And so that investment is all in. When you work for a company, you're all in, but your financial wherewithal is not completely tied up with that enterprise. And so I always respect the franchisees. And whenever, you know, I was at KFC, I learned the chicken business from my best franchisees, went and spent a week of training and learned the value of, if you ask me to buy a piece of equipment, please make sure it's flexible. If you ask me to remodel, please make sure it's gonna grow my business. And that was just solid principles. And we didn't always have that with company-owned units owned by PepsiCo where capital was plentiful and, you know, you had a lot of resources. You know, understanding franchises like franchisees was like, please, if you ask me to buy this fryer, I got to have it more for uh, than a six-week rollout. It needs, to, it needs to sustain itself because I'm paying $1,500 per restaurant. That was valuable to understand. Also, to, to understand that I'm managing business to grow cash. That was not evident in a company-owned environment. In a franchisee environment, that was very uh, evident. And that really impacted me as a business person, understanding that each year I want to grow my cash. Mm -hmm. I'm really glad you said that because I know that the difference I saw between company and franchise ops is company worries about this thing called flow-through, which is a financial number that... some would argue is made up because you can't take flow through necessarily to the bank. Whereas the, the cash flow statement is most important in franchising. And that does make you think differently. So I really appreciate that, that you talked about that. So when you started franchising at Potbelly, what were you looking for in franchise partners? Well, we felt like we had a special brand and we had a special culture with, with a high, high sensitivity around people, product and customers. And we did not want to compromise. And so we wanted people that were going to be committed to, we called it hiring nice people, and we can teach you the pot belly way. We sell sandwiches and soups and shakes, high quality stuff. We could teach you how to do that stuff, but we, we could not teach smiles. We could not teach personalities. So we spent a ton of time on investing in tools that, that got us employees that, that mirrored our values for the customers. So consequently, we wanted um, franchisees that had that same aptitude. So we didn't go the easy route. We actually went the hard route. And we we wanted folks that wanted a family business, 
They wanted to own a sandwich shop. Uh, they wanted to be a neighborhood sandwich shop. They wanted to give back to the neighborhood. They were involved in the neighborhood. Uh, they, they lived within, you know, <laughs> we, we, we look for managers that live within five, within five miles of their shop. We wanted franchisees that live within 10 miles of their shop. So it was a lifestyle because if you live 30 miles away, once you leave, you're not coming back. But if it's a lifestyle, when you go to the bank, when you, when, you know, when you go to pick up your kid, when you go shopping, that, that restaurant, that, that sandwich shop is part of how you do your life. And so that's what we were looking for. We wanted folks that were financially uh, savvy, as well as technology savvy, because we recognized the future of this business was an investment in customer-facing technology. And so we wanted people that had that mindset and was creative around culture, creative around customer service, but was willing, willing to run the playbook for us. How did you find your first one? I mean, how do you find a person to be the first franchisee? So first, you know, you have to put together the program, right? And so uh, we, we did that with the help of consultants, um, franchising consultants. We looked at having a win-win uh, contract uh, that um, forced us as a franchisors to behave a certain way, but encouraged franchisees uh, to, to act a certain way. We were not in a hurry. Uh, and so we took our time to pick our first, our first franchisee was in uh, uh, Dayton, Ohio. Uh, the second one was in El Paso, Texas. And those folks, uh, you had to go through uh, a training process, it was very deliberate uh, in Chicago, in our best restaurants. The first, the first test was a week long, get to know you. It was six days. And, and, and we had you do all the things you need to do, clean toilets, <laughs> all the all the dirty work because pe a lot of folks have this romantic view of restaurants, mm -hmm. but we wanted folks to understand and and we you know we we didn't go for investors that were going to hire operators. We wanted we want you to run the sandwich shop and we'll grow with you and we we put them in cities where they could grow that we did have a direct interest in. We were close enough to help, but we were, we weren't going to go to that city you know within the next three to four miles. Uh, for years. And we were not going to allow another franchisee to come into that city. So we gave them safety that said, if you do this right, you can be bigger. And, and but you got to earn the right. And so um, and, and at the end of the first three days, we knew if, if you were not customer focused, if you were squeamish around sweeping and mopping and smiling. And we had this one guy who had worked in the industry forever. He was uh, from St. Louis. And he had risen to a uh, divisional vice president for a large wrestling company. He was retiring and man, he wanted, he's like, I want to be a franchisee. I want to, you know, I know how to do this, blah, 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 blah. And yet every five minutes he was leaving the line to go smoke. <laughs> <laughs> and so you're like, and that was so shocking because again, his verbiage and his, you know, his courtship of us, we, you had this franchisee day where they, they come in on a Friday. We'd introduce ourselves first. They would have to talk to us through an interview process. And then we decide whether we give him a chance. And this guy begged us. His wife was there. And you're like, man, okay, this sounds good. But again, you know, getting you in the shop was so important. And so we kind of washed him out that Wednesday. You know, Wednesday was kind of the, the first three days. You know, uh, Wednesday was kind of the day to say, okay, you can continue this week or not. And so we were very deliberate on that process. And so the first two folks, you know, it turned out to be very successful. And uh, they went through the process. 
I can see that because I know one of the things I remember most about you is the importance of restaurant visits and how you interact with restaurant employees. And I would see a change from the boardroom to the restaurant in you. Your entire demeanor would change. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Like, how were you able to be this executive in the boardroom and then one of the team when you hit the restaurant? You know, it's all about people. And I I don't have, I think, you know, I, I believe we're all people. And so the goal is to relate and to relate in the environment, relate to the folks, learn from the folks. I always had this notion when I got in the field, I didn't travel with an entourage, get on a plane, get in a car, and you just start visiting restaurants. Uh, and, you know, I, there was a system to it. Obviously, you studied the numbers, so you went in and you had an added, uh, you kind of knew what was going on in the restaurants. But it was all about listening and asking questions and how do you feel and why do you work here and what's important to you? And, you know, and, and it was this thing of once you walked in that door, you were willing to deal with the situation. Yes, you had an agenda. Yeah, you had a list of, I, I want to get to X amount of restaurants a day. But if you walked into a situation that needed help, you couldn't leave until you made it better. Uh, and, and my mindset was, I wanted to have high impact in every visit. The mindset was, can I change someone's life today by this visit? That's a high bar. And I can sit and tell you, you did it every time. But having that mindset ensured that you were listening. I would sit down because I'm tall, I'm a big guy. I'd sit down so you'd be eye, eyeball to eyeball with, with managers and you could talk to them on their level. And you know, you, you ask questions about them. You'd go around the restaurant and speak to everybody, put them at ease. I'm not here to judge you. I'm part of the team. I, I'm part of this brand. I, my goal is to help you uh, get better. And so that was my mindset. And it, they expected so little of people like us coming into restaurants because, you know, oftentimes we had this highfalutin attitude and they just had bad examples of people coming from the support center. And my goal is just bust that. It's like, we're people here. You know, I, I started in the restaurants. I love the restaurants, wherever brand I went to, I, I, you know, I trained and understood how success was in the restaurant environment. And I, and I love the environment. It's nothing more beautiful than a well-run restaurant where everybody knows what they're doing. It's, it's like watching a ballet. Mm-hmm. Nothing's out of place. There's movement. The, the person in charge is, is giving silent signals. And if there's trouble spots, they're going over to, to, to solve it. We used to call it the circle eight. You know, you're out in the dining room talking to customers. When you see that, that's, that just gives joy to your heart. And your goal is, can I get that across, you know, an entire system? And, you know, that, that's what the playbook was about. That, that's what the, you know, ops college was about. That's what the store visits were about. And so it was just a part of me. I, I chose an industry that allowed me to bring out the best of my talents, allowed me to serve customers, allowed me to help folks that wanted to help themselves. And I was proud of this industry. We, we created a lot of, you know, inside the restaurant, you could come in and start as an hourly but you didn't have to stay there. We always talked about where you start is not your destination. And you can create, look at you. I mean, you, you as a staffer and you decided, I want to have credibility when I talk about customer service. So I'm going to go out and be an operator. And you put your heart in it and you had a tough market and no one did it better. Th- those type of stories are just there. I mean, I, mean, I remember the, the franchisee, uh, in South Florida was, you know, one of those divisional folks. And I was there on uh, 
January, Saturday, visiting him. And my goal was to do a performance review and lay out his future. And I was like, you know, in a few years, you could be me. You could be CEO of his company. And I really want to help you grow. And he looked at me and said, I don't want to be you. I, I want to run this market. I want to be franchisee of this market. And I was silent. I was like, oh, my God, who, who doesn't want to be the COO of Pizza Hut? <laughs> and then it's like, well, it's not about you. It's about history. Right. So then I pivoted and it's like, OK, well, let's talk about how we can make that happen. And that happened for him. And I had a direct role in that. Obviously, you know, he had a lot to do, but I facilitated that. And so that's the beauty of this industry. That's the beauty of franchising. It, it allows folks that want to own a business to do it in a less risky way. It's around a brand. It's around a company that understands uh, how to provide you with operations, how to provide marketing. It's not free. You, you pay an initial fee. Uh, you, you pay the franchising, the, the royalty off the top, you pay the, the marketing off the top. But what you get is a less risky way to be a, a successful business person. And, you know, my career was about could you climb the corporate ladder as a black person in America and open doors? And that's what my career was about. If I was starting today, when, when I talk to young people like I did on Saturday, and they ask, well, what advice do you have? It's like, boy, if I was starting today, I would own my own business. I, I would create something for me and my family that I can grow and build, build equity and, and have a family business. And franchising allow you to do that in a less risky way. You're going to work hard. You're going to have to follow the rules to be successful. Boy, but it's, it's an amazing deal when you can be a franchisee and own your own business and have a company that really supports you well which, you know, Yum does uh, a lot. Boy, you gave us a lot of jewels in that conversation. I want to unpack just a little bit of it. So I also have to confess something. Yes, I did go to the field to run restaurants, but you pushed me to that. So thank you. And you know that. And I also have to tell something funny to the audience. You are about a foot taller than me. So before your visits, I would make sure I looked up all around to see what you would see. Because our eye level is a little different. That's my little trick I probably never told you. But um, you uh, definitely have developed so many people and have allowed so many people such great success through your guidance. So big thank you on that one. But when you talk about franchising, building generational wealth, I could not agree with you more. And one of the things that the franchisees always talk about is the franchise family. So it's not just the franchisor support they receive, but it's support from the other franchisees. Do you have any examples or would like to comment on that? Well, I think the best example of that was KFC franchisees. And boy, you know, uh, they sued the company a couple of times, but they cared about the brand. They cared about the product. A lot of those first generation franchisees got their business directly for the, from the colonel. And they wanted to make sure that they never lost that sense of the essence of the brand. And, you know, there was so much corporate turnover at the top of that company. And the franchisees saw their role as, let me ensure you remember what we're about. Let, let, let me ensure you remember about quality and you remember, you know, why we are here for customers and, you know, the power of the bucket and the, the, the meals and, and so that group of franchisees was just awesome. I mean, and, you know, you didn't always like them, boy, but their intentions were always on a roll around the brand. 
and the brand, you know, and what the brand stood for and what the Colonel stood for. That was amazing to see. They, they made us better. You know, I went to Detroit as a, you know, regional manager and the franchisee up there who ran the co-op was just an excellent guy. And I remember I learned a lot from him and I actually learned, you know, uh, regional marketing and store level marketing from that co-op and he ran the co-op very well. That was just amazing to see. We, we had great franchisees out, you know, on the West Coast and they had a couple states that we didn't have the right to go to. But, you know, once they felt good about leadership, they're like, well, y'all can come here too and you, you can have a hand in under, helping us understand how we, how we can make this business better. You know, there, there's just nothing better when you earn the trust of franchisees and then it's a win-win situation and you can go hand in hand towards success. But that family of KFC franchisees were amazing to watch, amazing to experience and, and amazing to work with. Oh, I couldn't I couldn't agree more. And when you look at what the franchise model has done in recent years, it's been extremely successful. Why do you think uh, the model overall has really done well, especially during this pandemic? You know, it's uh, investors uh, have rewarded asset like businesses. And so a uh, big corporation, they want the corporation to de-risk their business. So that means franchising, um, you're going to get higher multiples. And when you can run it successfully, your franchisees feel good about you. They, they're not uh, doing negative uh, social media uh, on the brand. It's a win-win situation. It has withstood this virus in a very big way because it has allowed the corporations to spend their time and capital on growing the business, being innovative, you know, spending on technology to, for customer-facing stuff. And then it's allowed the franchisees to kind of navigate the marketplace. It's still a very difficult time for this industry, but you know what's going to bring it back is the creativity of the men and women on the ground every day, thinking through solutions, providing solutions for customers, for their associates. And this is one of the most resilient industries uh, in America. It's an essential industry. I, I, you know, I don't think everybody recognizes how important you know, restaurants are to this country, to the world. And, and when you see the, the decline of employment in big cities and airports and universities, all that stuff got hit. It was the creativity of franchisees that helped business continue. Ghost stores, uh, ghost concepts, delivery. I mean, whoever thought delivery would be as big as it? You know, <laughs> we had delivery at KFC a long time ago, and I can't tell you it's successful because it always competed with the drive group. Right. But, you know, the franchisees have made delivery and carry out uh, online ordering with apps, all that stuff has been driven by franchisees. Mm -hmm. And it just shows why it's so powerful. Uh, a corporation wouldn't have thought of all those ideas. Mm -mm, no way. So I can't believe our time is coming to an end. I feel like we could talk all day, but I want to end with just a couple of last questions. So one of the things I admire about you is you give back. So you are involved in quite a few philanthropic efforts, and I know that's really important to you. Um, so can you tell us one of the things you're most proud of in giving back all that you've learned? Well, we, uh, we set up a scholarship fund for University of Houston. It's, it's split three ways, one at uh, business school, one at uh, Hilton School, uh, hotel school, um, hospitality, I should say. 
And then the third is the general fund of the university and it's geared toward disadvantaged kids, uh, which I was. And, uh, you know, they, they get a free ride uh, with scholarship money. And so uh, it's a way to give back. Uh, so it's an annual uh, thing we do. And then uh, we also have it in the wheel that uh, the university would get X percent of our whatever's left <laughs> when we both go away. I, I just so firmly believe in education. I just so firmly believe that it is a way out of for disadvantaged people and underrepresented people. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm a big believer in helping people who want to help themselves. I used to call it teaching people how to fish. Mm -hmm. And so I think when you help people to want to help themselves and this industry allows you to do that, I just think that's important. Listen, we're here for a short time. And when you're fortunate to have the career I've had, everything I am, everything I own is a result of this industry. And so I have a high appreciation for this industry. And so giving back is important. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And my last question is, and I ask all of our guests this, is there anything you wish you had known when you first started in the franchising world? <laughs> you know, uh, listening better, asking questions. You kind of walk in the door thinking, I got to show these folks how smart I am. And I just think the way you demonstrate that is by asking questions and listening. And I learned that over time, but I think that would have been useful, you know, first in. That's wonderful. Well, Owen, I can't thank you enough for your time today and um, really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you, Ken. This has been great. Franchise You is brought to you by the Yum Center for Global Franchise Excellence at the University of Louisville. For more information on the center, visit business.louisville.edu slash yum cgfe. Thank you for listening to Franchise You.